welcome to the Out of Bounds Astrology Podcast. This is astrology for people that don't easily belong to cookie-cutter categories. I am Fernanda Paiva. I am Alejo Lopez. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to this week's um, episode. And, yes. But again, before we start our episode, um, we'd like to make another um, little announcement here about our Jupiter-Neptune um conjunction workshop so what are we going to be doing a okay so the idea is we're going to approach uh this conjunction jupiter neptune that's ha happening soon in a more experiential way what we want is to approach astrology and planetary significators and all of that from a not so rational uh, approach yes uh, so to be able to reflect on that to experience that we might do some meditations or some guided, some guided meditations or some exercises. And the idea is for you to engage with it with other parts of your being and not only with a logical way of thinking, which is the one we usually tend to use more, right? But I think both are necessary in um, astrology. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think astrology can be very, very much enriched by the use of imagination. And the more we train our imagination, the more we learn how to look at things through that little window, um, the more we enrich our practice. So um, we're going to try to use more imagery and um, exercises, as Alejo said. And Alejo has um, a background with theater. Um, so it will be awesome. Um, 13th of April for two hours. Um, including some, you know, questions and discussions, etc. in these uh, two hours. But yes, if you're interested, hit us up on um, astrologyfortheoutcast at gmail.com. Um, and uh, yeah, and then we can share more information with you. It's going to be awesome. And it's going to be great for you to set your intentions for this new cycle um, of Jupiter and Neptune, so powerfully placed in its own sign, right? In Pisces, both of them. So, so is an important um, new yeah. cycle. I mean, I think it's important to make it clear. Like, it's not going to be a two-hour talk. It's really going to be a participatory yeah. experience. It's like a. That's why we call it a workshop because yeah. people who attend are going to be participating. They're going to be sharing their thoughts, their ideas, and their it's going to be a live, a live uh, gathering. Let's say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, good point. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on the 13th of April. I don't remember if you said it already. 13th of April. Mm -hmm. So the email, as Fernanda said, is astrologyfortheoutcast at gmail.com and we will let you know all the details. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be real awesome. Cool. Okay. So, um, so let's move on to what we are talking about today then. What are we talking about today? So today we're talking about grand configurations. Uh, Fernanda calls them grand configurations. I call them aspect patterns. So I guess different, mm. there are different approaches to this also. Um, but basically, well, I don't know, how, what, how would you describe? What are they? Okay, so um, there's something really interesting when you're studying astrology, which is to look at the chart from the pattern, sort of from the drawing perspective. So there are like chart shapes, for example. So if every planet is together on one side, or if all the planets are spread around the zodiac, you know, the, the wheel of the zodiac will be called a splash chart and etc. And in the same way that we've got these shapes on how the planets kind of, they, how they look, um, there's also these different drawing patterns that they make 
sometimes, you know, when they're in inter-aspect. So it's basically yeah. having more than one Ptolemaic aspect between, you know, a few planets. So yes. if you have, you know, three planets in trine, then you've got this grand trine. It's not just a trine, but, you know, it kind of involves more than two planets. Yeah, because, you know, I always, I always say the planets are like actors that go into a scene, right? So mm -hmm. if you have many, if you have, um, let's say, a grand trine, so you have, I don't know, the moon trining Mars and Mars trining Jupiter and Jupiter trining moon. So you have, every time the moon goes into the stage, she brings in uh, together with her this uh, other two. So they all come together. So they're kind of bound to each other. They're kind of um, in a team. And yeah. depending on the aspects they're making, this team may be a happy team. Like, yeah, let's all work together. Or perhaps it's more a resentful team. Like, oh no, why do we have to work with these other yeah. two guys? I want to be alone, you know? Um, so it may be more challenging or more easy flowing. And I think it's also, they're very important, I think, because first of all, they're involved in three different houses, at least, because if you have three planets, sometimes you have configurations with more than three planets. But if it's only three planets, then at least you're involving three houses and quite often even more because you also you may also reflect on how this will impact on the rulerships the yeah. on the ruler or the house that this planet is ruling so it may even have a stronger impact so it's involving so many different areas of chart yeah but i think it makes it uh, very meaningful yeah definitely when i'm doing client work i tend to separate so i don't do like a you know what a computer program would do like oh you've got moon in aries oh you've got sun in pisces oh you've got this so i basically try to find three or four main signatures of the chart and if the person has one of these grand configurations this is definitely one of the signatures i, I usually yeah. see that as a, one of the personalities that exist in the psyche because i think it tends to feature quite powerfully in a person's psyche so it's, it's very important when there is one of these grand configurations there um yes yeah so the first one that you know we, we kind of thought about a couple of charts um to talk about and use it as an example uh for these grand configurations and the first one that we're going to look into is a famous chart. I bet you all have seen at some point in your life. It's uh, Princess of Wales, Princess Diana's chart. Now, the info is she was born on the 1st of July, 1961 at 7.45 p.m. in Sandringham in England, uh, in the UK. So very... Yeah, I should say, sorry, if I can interrupt. Yeah. Yeah. There are different charts for Princess Diana. So you may have right. different uh, charts, but... I mean, usually the ascendant is what changes, uh, not not the configuration of the planets. I mean, maybe the moon a little right. bit, but it's usually more the ascendant that changes. Yeah. Right. Well, this one is on astro.com, which I yeah. find very reliable. I love to yes. source my charts from astro.com because, you know, I mean, sometimes if it's dirty data, they're going to say there as well. And, you know, like pitching yeah. and et cetera. But, um, but Princess, you know, Princess Diana, I mean, Frank Clifford used to say that studying astrology using the royal family is really good because the timings are usually really good and they're very official and you know the birth times etc so here we go this is yeah. from the astro.com you can easily find it if you if you um if you google and princess diana has a yard 
So yard is one of these grand configurations. There's a bit of a, you know, um, yard rhymes with odd. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird. It's a bit of a weird configuration, I think. Yeah. And so, I think it's not widely what? discussed on the books either. So it's like, what yeah. do we do with it? The yard is, is is known as the finger of God as well, isn't it? Yes. Some people. So it's a, yeah. Sorry, go yeah. No, go on, you please. I mean, it's formed by sextile, mm -hmm. and the planets that are in sextile are both making a quincunx to a third planet. Mm -hmm. The quincunx is an aspect of oddity, if you want. Mm -hmm. So I think it is indeed a yacht. Yod, uh, how did you say yod, uh, odd, odd, odd. rhymes with odd yeah <laughs> rhymes with odd yes i yeah. think there is something about that yeah it is kind of an odd pattern yes mm. so princess diana has a yod in her chart or had a yod in her chart and that's um between um pluto and virgo so just to give you a little bit of a background there princess diana had an 18 degree in this chart 18 degree uh sagittarius rising um, Sun, Mercury, and Cancer, Moon in Aquarius. Um, but the configuration that we want to talk about is her yard, which was composed of um, her Mercury, I think. So let's have a look at Mercury at three degrees, Cancer, um, yeah. sextile to, um, is that Pluto? I think it's Pluto, yeah. Yeah, so. Pluto at six degrees Virgo. So we've got Mercury at three degrees Cancer, sextile Pluto at six degrees Virgo. And they're both quincunx to Jupiter at five degrees Aquarius. Yeah. Now, Jupiter five degrees Aquarius is in the second house and Mercury in Cancer is in the seventh. And Pluto in Virgo is in the eighth house. This is a chart in Placidus. So the... The house system is placid. It might shift for some of you know the other house systems as well. So, yeah. um, so what do you think about this yard, Alejo? When you look well, I, I think it's called the finger of God because mm -hmm. it's like um, it's like a mission that sometimes gets imposed on the person's life. So they mm -hmm. are, they are. I feel like they are fate. They feel like they are fated to develop. Uh, the qualities of the asp of the planet that is the apex planet. So the apex is the one in this case is Jupiter is the one that is receiving the two quincunxes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's like uh, the the talents that you get from mixing Mercury and Pluto in in sextile, which would be the ability to speak about to 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 unravel secrets, perhaps or to have a way of speaking that may transform and may change people. This idea that it's in the seventh house and between the seventh and the eighth house. So there is this idea of a deep connection to people that perhaps even an unconscious connection to people that may help them see things about themselves that they didn't know or that they didn't want to face. It may expose taboos, you know, it may, it's like a powerful way of speaking. It's a, it's a gift to develop that because it's sextile. Mm -hmm. Uh, so this is all quincunxing uh, Jupiter in Aquarius. So it's like having this ability may have, um, this is my interpretation, of course, and you may, there are many layers of interpretation and some people may see other stuff, right? But to mm -hmm. me, uh, having this ability may have, she might have felt that she was pushed into this position 
of, of expressing Jupiter in Aquarius, Jupiter retrograde in Aquarius. So a sense of justice that it's radically different, that it's uh, radically threatening the status quo, you know, wishing to change things, maybe to democratize some things. Mm -hmm. um, and we know with Jupiter in Aquarius, it's like the meaning of life is constantly new. It's never the same and it's never, it cannot be imposed. It's like each one has to find their own unique meaning of life, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And with Jupiter in retrograde, I think it also, you know, the retrogradation of Jupiter usually brings people who have their, this system of justice that is very personal. It's very, I don't want to say eccentric, but perhaps unique or, yeah. I don't know, diverse to the environment. Yeah, well, in a way she, she was, um, she she did stand out in terms of like the rules and you know yeah the rules of the of the royal family and the royal family as an institution as well and i mean that is symbolized in other bits of her chart i mean she's a moon in aquarius and she's a moon in aquarius yeah. of the uranus so she's ah, double yeah. moon in aquarius it's like there is a lot of you know non-conformity and you know she's the first one to touch people with aids publicly you know when when there's this huge polemic about it and was like oh it's the illness of gay people and there's a huge taboo around that and you know she was yeah. the first one that was like an ambassador to these causes which is very Aquarian isn't it the Jupiter in Aquarius there totally. um interestingly that yard as well when you were saying place the planets of the grand configuration in relationship to the rulerships now Pluto which is part of her you know yard is the ruler of the 11th house which again brings that feeling of the Aquarius 11th house people you know like-minded people etc power to the people um yeah. you know type of mentality and Mercury ruling the seventh house as well of partnerships even like her own struggles in her partnership um became yeah. very public as well and 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 so the idealization of you know the royal family um started to crumble a little you know as an institution and everything and, and even the the eating disorder as well that you know somehow yeah. became um known for as well and i don't know I'm... even like prince harry leaving the the royal family and saying that he didn't want his wife to go through what his mom went through and and it, she somehow shifted things um yeah yeah she did for sure i think mm. she did um the, this mercury is also ruling the ninth house of beliefs yeah. and mm -hmm. you know moral guideline guidelines so again it's kind of pointing to a clear theme about everything that you're describing and the jupiter yeah. is the ruler of the chart yeah and so the her beliefs her ideology you know her 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 moral compass is like very important to her Mm -hmm. And this idea, you know, of Jupiter and Aquarius, we're all important, we're all meaningful, we're yeah. all, uh, well, we all have a role to play. My wonder yeah. is, like, I would have guessed the royal family has astrologers, <laughs> didn't they tell them? Yeah. This was not the best <laughs> choice to, to marry a royal, like, didn't they see it coming? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing was that she was such a perfect in theory, she was such a perfect fit, isn't it? I mean, if the royal family was into Vedic astrology, they probably wouldn't have married her to... <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> they have said, this is not the right match. You know? No, it's not the right fit. 
because <laughs> yeah. it's definitely rebellious this isn't it and if you know like you're saying you know it has to do with the journey like with the with the um not a journey like a sense of mission you know then her mission definitely had something to do with rebelliousness you know just yes exactly yeah. But yeah i mean now that you mentioned it's interesting i'm thinking because it's a yacht you know and yachts they are kind of hidden you don't really see them you know this idea of quinkons you have to they're not so obvious aspects. You know, the Quinkus is not an aspect you can see so easily on the charts. Like, it's not such an obvious aspect. And mm -hmm. so perhaps something of her qualities were latent to be kind of awakened, which is, I think it's a feeling people with yachts have, that at some point in their life, through some transit or something, this yacht is awakened and they suddenly see it. Mm -hmm. Maybe I have a bias because I have a yacht in my chart. Oh. It's, it was really a driven, like at some point it really emerged and it was a driven force. Mm. Uh, but what, what I'm thinking about this chart is that, you know, she has the midheaven in Libra, mm -hmm. ruled by this Venus in Taurus. Mm -hmm. uh, she's a sun in Cancer. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the Jupiter, the, the Sagittarius rising is like such a warm character. So maybe they saw like this warm woman, you know, midheaven yeah. in Libra with rule with, with Venus in in Toro, so it was like they thought somebody you know stable pretty nice uh, yeah. selling cancer like approachable yeah in but the seventh yeah, house yeah <laughs> exactly yeah, <laughs> exactly. marriage she's gonna be a great wife selling cancer in the seventh house yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> maybe but, they should have known about great configurations <laughs> yeah <laughs> because this venus is squaring the the moon Uranus that Fernanda was talking about before. Yeah, so which is another configuration of the T-square there, isn't it? We're not going to explore it so much today, but definitely, yeah. <laughs> definitely a bit yeah. rebellious, isn't it? But interestingly, that, you know, mid-heaven in Libra is what people saw as well. Like, at large, she was this really glamorous, beautiful... I think so, yeah. ...person, beautiful figure. And the Neptune in the 10th as well, you know? Very charitable, very... Exactly, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And I guess that's what the first thing people saw, you know, or they, they saw in her. Yeah. You know, it's like we have different la layers and the first thing they saw maybe was this. And they thought, yeah, yeah. it's going to be a good match. For sure. For sure. So, Yod, if you have a Yod, explore your Yod because your mission, a sense of mission is definitely connected with the apex of your Yod. Um, Frank Clifford used to say, if there is a transit, well, you know, opposing the apex of your yard, that's usually when that gets really triggered. So if a planet progresses there, or if a solar arc planet progresses there, or, you know, planetary transit to that um, apex, you know, then that is awaken like big time. Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so have a look at your yard. I don't have a yard, so I can't really... <laughs> <laughs> personally say anything about a yard um but let's move on to the second grand configuration of today that we wanted to talk about and this is something i wanted to talk about because i think it's, it's a wonderful configuration mind you everything needs to be taken with a bit of a pinch of salt nothing is plainly good or plainly bad there's always yeah. you know, all the shades in between and the Grand Trine, which is the second configuration that we're going to talk about, which is three planets or three points, major points in the chart forming a trine to each other. So 120 degrees between three points in the chart or three planets. Well, that's usually connected with a major gift, as it would 
because when we think about trines, you know, we always have this idea of like, oh, it's a flowing aspect and it's an aspect of, you know, talent or, you know, something that comes very easily to a person, etc. Well, when we have that between three points, not just two points, then it is a kind of a major um, configuration reflecting a gift, a major gift as, as well. Now, before I ask your opinion on that as well, Alejo, I just wanted to say that I once came across um, this, and I think it was Lee Green who said, grand trans can be used as a defense mechanism as well. So it doesn't always mean that it's this amazing gift that you have, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes you might tap into your grand cross to defend yourself from something that's a lot you know, harder and more difficult. And, and so we give away the harder bit, we give away our, you know, mm. whatever you else. Your grand trine, you mean to escape from. Yes, and we use our grand trines to just, you know, to escape from something that's a little bit murkier and more difficult for us to deal with. So the grand trine can be a way of dissociating from other parts of our charts. So with ah, that said, yeah. So with that what, what? said, what do okay, you sorry. think about grand trines? No, what I found that sometimes uh, people are not so aware of the of the gifts of the grand trines. I'm, uh, on, on the workshops I do, sometimes I use the chart of a client who has a grand trine on earth. Mm -hmm. And he, has come, he comes from a wealthy family, so he mm -hmm. doesn't have to work. So he's very confused about what he wants to do. You know, he's a, he's a Taurus rising. Right. So he, he has this call to develop something that will have a material effect that will be visible but because he's not forced to work and to materialize stuff because he comes from a wealthy family and i'm not saying everybody who has a grand train on earth will do that i mean this is this is one of the possible expressions uh but he has this kind of natural belief that uh, survival will not be a problem for him uh, mm -hmm. So he's not forced to work, so it's very hard for him to find a vocation or what he wants to do and what he wants to achieve, because right. he doesn't have to work. Right. Um, so it's actually this, which could be like a great gift. For him, it's a problem. Right. Yeah, you didn't necessarily help out, or he didn't tap into expressing that grand turn in a different way, or he hasn't tapped yet. Yeah. Maybe he yeah, will. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. There's, yeah, there's definitely that sense of easiness when it comes to a grand trine. And the we have a couple of charts that you know reflect the grand chart. So the first one that we're uh, looking at is Elizabeth Moss, is an actress. She's played the main character of The Handmaid's Tale, this TV series. Um, and the you know, based on a book by um, um, Margaret Atwood. And she's done a few other movies as well, including The Visible Man, The Square, etc. Now her data, again, is from the astro.com, which is my favorite. Um, <laughs> and her data is that she was born on the 24th of July, 1982 at 5.01 a.m. So that sounds like pretty accurate. Yeah. In uh, Los Angeles, in California, US. So, Elizabeth Moss has an 18 degrees cancer rising, but her grand trine involves her sun Mercury at zero and one degrees Leo with uh, in the first house. So she's got a sun Mercury at zero and one degree. So the sun is at one degrees, the Mercury is at zero degrees Leo in the first house, trying to Uranus at zero degrees um, Sagittarius in the fifth house. 
and they're both trying to mid heaven of four degrees Aries. So mm -hmm. is a grin trying in fire and it's picking up the firehouses as well. So we've got Sun, Mercury in the first, Uranus in the fifth. And, you know, the midheaven is kind of, because we're using placidus here as well, um, is the sort of between a fiery house and an earthy house as well. Mm -hmm. But mostly, you know, as we were saying in our episode about um, angles, it is a kind of a mission point. I mean, heaven is a mission point as to how she comes into the world in a wider sense. And it has a lot to do with her vocation and, and what she's doing out there in the world and what she's known for as well. You know, what people talk about um, uh, in relation to her. So it's very interesting. I think that Grand Trine is very interesting because it involves two planets at zero degrees, which is the anoretic degree as well. Um, so they're, you know, tend to feature strongly in a chart as well. And grand fire trines, I think they usually connect to someone that's very visionary. Um, now I did a talk about the Handmaid's Tale, and so I did a bit of research about Elizabeth Moss, and I saw a few um, interviews as well, etc. And she is really prolific. Apparently, she knows mm. a lot about cameras. She knows a lot about lenses. She knows a lot about producing stuff. You know, she works as a producer um, as well. She was also directing some of the episodes of The Handmaid's Tale well. as being the main character. I mean, she is amazing. And if you have seen The Handmaid's Tale, she's amazing in that show. Like, she's really, really amazing. She won a few awards as an actress as well for her performance. And I really feel, you know, that Leo obviously that relates to performance yeah. and the urine is in the fifth house that relates to performance as well. It's like double, you know, the amount of creativity and performance and, and self-expression that's reflected in her chart and all of that trying to the mid heaven, you know, giving a way to express that in the world as well, in a unique way as, as well, you know, cause it's Uranus and it's um, Aries on the mid heaven, which is, you know, you got to yeah. do if you got strong areas, you got to do your thing. You got to be a pioneer somehow. So I really feel that Grand Trine, she really managed to channel that Grand Trine um, in the world, you know, very well. Um, very I can well. Envy her. Actually, because it's got Leo in it, isn't it? It's like, uh, With so much Leo and so much. I mean, I, I, I probably, she's very creative. I mean, she must be very creative and very. Like yeah. uh, like a visionary, like you said, with the mid heaven mm -hmm. and the Uranus trining the sun, and probably she puts a lot of herself in what she do. Like probably she's yeah. very, very soul heartedly soul. involved, you know, in what she do, yeah. what she does. Yeah. yeah, I mean, one of the interviews I saw was with the whole crew, and they were all so in awe of her work, and she was so humble, and she's a Leo, but she's got Moon in Virgo. Alice, she's actually very humble as well, and is a moon square Neptune in her, you know, in her mm. native So she's a moon at 21 degrees Virgo, and Neptune is at 24 uh, Sag in the house of co-workers. So the moon is in the third, but Neptune is in the sixth. And so I think she's a very, very compassionate, you know, co-worker as well. And people are just saying how much she does, and she's always self-sacrificial, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And she's very humble. Although she's a Leo, and we would say Leo's want all of the, you know, limelight, etc. But not Elizabeth Moss. She's just well. Uh, also, you know, a uh, sun in Leo in the first. Sometimes that's this kind of quest to find yourself. I think, and it's like, um, yeah, I find it. It can be 
you know, sometimes one of the nice things of Leo is this sense of self-esteem, you know, self-confidence. It's not always this, yeah. It's not always this, look at me, I'm the best. Sometimes it's like a very internal feeling of self-confidence. Yes, which is Leo at best. Exactly, it's Leo at best. If, if, you know, the Leo that people talk about, oh, look at me, look at me, attention seeker. That's not the best. That's not Leo at best. Leo at best yeah. is this inner confidence and this inner sense of self-worth that kind of transpires naturally. And that gives license to everyone else to be themselves as well. That's the best, you know, that's Leo at best. It's like they allow people to be themselves. They allow people to be spontaneous as well because they're so in touch within yeah, self, you know, that sense of confidence. So and yeah. I think sometimes that's the contrast, well, I'm getting off topic perhaps, but I think that's the contrast between a moon in Leo and a sun in Leo. All right. I okay. think the sun in Leo has this kind of inner confident, confidence that doesn't, doesn't need to show up so far, so much. And I think it's more the moon in Leo that right. needs to, because they feel loved when, they, when this happens. So they need to be oh, looked right. at all the time. Yeah. They feel nourished, isn't it? As the moon yes. nourished. So she, Elizabeth Moss, is a son in Leo, but her moon is in Virgo, and she feels nourished by working silently, exactly, working yeah. a lot and being productive. And not only the moon in Virgo is also the chart ruler. So it's an interesting yeah. in her personality. She's got the fiery, grand trine, visionary, etc. But she's also cancerizing Venus in Cancer in the twelve mooning virgo you know square Neptune. so she's also quite low-key um you know on, on, on another uh side as well so there you go elizabeth moss with the grand trine and the next grand choice. trine that we're going to mention quickly as well is agatha christie um and uh, an, a writer um who wrote loads of these like crime novels and etc so just a quick look she has yeah. a grand in air but just quickly say the the data here also from astro.com 15th of september 1890 um at 2 14 p.m in torquay in england so here she has a grand trine in air do you want to say something about this um grand trine yep. well she has the moon in the libra right mm -hmm. jupiter in aquarius moon, yeah. like princess diana <laughs> yeah and she has the Pluto-Neptune contraction in Gemini, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the moon in Libra, this ability to create something beautiful, perhaps, and it's all this, all, all of this is shining to this Pluto-Neptune in Gemini, which I think may be talking about this ability to dissect uh, yeah. psychology. You know, the, if, you, if you read her novels, I read many of her novels, she, she yeah. makes a very good, deep psychological profile of the characters. Yeah. Uh, so there's this combination, you know, about you know being able to see the depths of each character and be, being able to put it in words. You know, being able to to take a distance with this uh, with so much air and to put it in words to to, to make yeah. it uh, understandable for everyone else. Yeah. Uh, it was obviously very smart. Come on, she, if you read her novels, the the this this is perhaps a signature for a crime writer. You know, this idea you have to be very smart, very clever, where you put all the clues. Um, how you trick the reader into thinking it's going to be someone, but then suddenly it's going to be someone else. Uh, yeah. And I, yeah. So I think she, her brilliancy shows in this uh, grand trine. Yeah. Yeah. And and Jupiter rules the house of rising, you know, Pluto and ne Neptune in Gemini, you know, the, the, the sign of rising as well. Um, it is quite, yeah, it is quite revealing, isn't it? As in like what yeah. she do and, and how 
well she did it as well she's a stunning virgo which is also connected to mercury you know and writing and etc but um but yeah like really amazing i have a client who has um grand trine in air she's not a writer but she spoke five languages she spoke five languages and she's british mind you which is something that's very unusual because english you know (laughs) you have english as your first language you're usually very lazy (laughs) 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 my grand client although british she spoke five languages and she was really good with languages she learned it very easily she didn't do any course you know she didn't study these languages um so it came out as a talent with languages um which is quite um awesome really yeah so um, <laughs> so yeah so there we have um uh, agatha christie and and i mean there's lots of other grand configurations but you just kind of picked you know these two yeah just to talk a little bit about just to give a little bit of introduction and if this is something that you're really interested send us an email send us a message and we can perhaps do part two if you you know if you want to know about yeah, exactly other- because we picked this one because somebody sent an email if i remember yeah yeah i think so Asking too us to talk about this. yeah yeah and there was a particular interest in that so if you're still interested you know there are other configurations grand crosses t squares um etc you know mystical rectangles blah 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 so if you want to know more about that you know send us a message and we'll explore that a little bit further um but i think this is it for today, isn't it? This is it. Um, in terms I think of so. Configurations. So um, what are we going to be talking about next week? Hello. So we were thinking, because when we were looking at the Aztec patterns, we came up with the chart of Adorno, yeah. who I think he has a grand cross, right? Was it the grand I cross? Think he, I think he has uh, a grand cross. Yeah. And well, I don't know if you know, but he didn't like astrologers very much. So we thought, okay, why don't we do a podcast on charts of people who hate astrology? And let's see if there's something there that makes any sense. Exactly. So for next week, we're going to be looking at charts of haters of astrology and see if there is a pattern, if something emerges from it, you know. If you know anyone that hates astrology, famous, <laughs> don't, 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 don't give the chart of your neighbor without letting him know. <laughs> <laughs> Of your family neighbor. Um, But if you know of anyone that hates astrology publicly and, you know, is a public figure, please um, send us, you know, uh, suggestions as well. We're open to it. But we're going to look at the haters of astrology. That's going to be very entertaining, I think. And, um, and yeah, don't forget to send us uh, comments, messages, you know, on um, astrology of the outcast astrology for astrology the for outcast, outcast. <laughs> we always get confused <laughs> <laughs> oh my god gmail.com and um yeah and and inquiry about this uh jupiter neptune workshop which is meant to be real great as well um yeah so that's it so right. um see you guys all next week take care everyone take care bye bye bye